Hey, I'm Sailor, and it's another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey, and I couldn't think of anything clever to say. Who needs clever when you got music like that, right? True. Well, for any of the listeners that might be new to this show, we do sometimes, one might even say typically compare two albums from one artist against each other, discuss, argue, and very unprofessionally debate the merits. And in the end, only one album or artist will reign supreme. And guess what? Album battle tonight, baby. Woohoo! Yeah. Finally. That's right. Finally, we are back to the typical process. And the band of the night is another in a long line of legends in music, Queen. And hey guys, of course, our other favorite subject to discuss on this show is whiskey. We drink copious amounts of it, some of us collect it, and we love to talk about it. Almost as much as drinking it. Almost. Almost. <laughs> Almost, Matt. <laughs> but before we get into that uh, whiskey discussion, let's all talk about what we are drinking tonight. And then, it's on me. It's on me to do the whiskey pairing. I can't tonight. wait to hear this whiskey pairing. Oh, yeah, this will be good. Waiting with bated breath, man. Me too. You bait that breath and tell me what you're drinking. Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. You guys need need a moment to loan together there? Woof. A little hot under the collar. <laughs> you want to go first, Matt? Sure. <laughs> um, so we are, of course, talking about Queen, which means we are talking about the great epic Maybe the greatest singer of all time, Freddie Mercury. Um, so, you know, I had to go with something that I felt was above par, something that I really hold in high regard as far as whiskey goes, and that was Asian whiskey. So I'm drinking Hibiki 12-year. Oh. And, oh, God, this is so freaking good. It's so good. Um, light fruit, a lot of honey, easy, easy sipper. Would recommend it to anybody. Nice choice. Sounds oh, good. That's I keep, keep hearing about that one. I'm going to have to pick one up for myself sometime. If you see it, buy Maybe. it. Or at least, you know, try it at a bar if they got it. Yeah. Well, I am drinking something I haven't had on the show in a while. Um, I didn't really think too much about it um, other than I hadn't drank it in a while. But I'm drinking <laughs> a Koval single barrel whiskey right from uh, in good old Chi-Town. Yeah. Chicago <laughs> distilled, and um, what is this? It's forty-seven uh, percent, so that's what ninety-four proof. It's young and it tastes young, but it's still delicious. Still good stuff. Nice pour there. Excellent choice. So I am killing my last bottle of the Balvany Portwood. So um, super delicious. One of my favorite. Um, scotch whiskeys of all time and I'm sad that the bottle is empty but tonight was the right night to do it super in love with that it was one of my one of my gateway whiskeys that got helped get me into scotch as I've talked about a little bit I've heard very very good things about that one 
It is beyond, you know, and I, I'm saying this as a person who, you know, I'm still very new on my journey into Scotch. And when I fell in love with it, I was brand new on my journey to Scotch. I was very unfamiliar with the flavors and very unsure if I liked it or not. Um, so I had really no expectations of it. The only expectations I have is I probably wouldn't like it. And the the flavors, I just think the Balvany does an amazing job anyway um, with the multitude of flavors that they offer in their whiskey. But this one in specific, man, it is just phenomenal. I think it is so worth the price. It's it's so enjoyable, and every time I drink it, I get something different from it. I'm picking up new flavors. I'm picking up different mm. nuances because there's just so much in there. It's difficult to process. I think you're like halfway through the bottle, and you're still processing what you're tasting. And, it's and certain phenomenal. places you can find it for under $200. You put that yes. in perspective with something like Macallan 21 year, which you're not going to find for under 400 So yes. it is it wow. is a good value. And I would say yeah. it's better than that Macallan. Um, I would say I would agree with you a hundred thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. I would and I would say, say Bel- it's far better. Yeah, yeah. Bel- Belvany seems to have a uh, seems to kind of have it all going on. Not only oh yeah does their whiskey you know from a marketing standpoint it comes in a very nice presentable package that looks yeah. good on the bar. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but it seems to be fairly priced and uh, yes. and it seems to be pretty readily available available i mean whenever i go to my locals there's you know it seems like there's five or six seven different offerings of belvaney right there on the shelf so William Grant and Sons does a really good job when they, you know, decided that they wanted to really launch, you know, their products in the U.S. market and focus on the U.S. market. They have phenomenal brand ambassadors who are just, not only do they know their shit back and front, but they're all very enigmatic people, very creative. They, they're good at matching people with their brands and they're really good at distribution. Um, I worked for a portfolio manager from a distributor when I was in New England, and they treated me incredibly well so that I would be excited to pour their stuff. They gave me access to so much information to learn it and understand it since I would be discussing it with the public. Um, and they treat their their off-premises, you know, restaurants and bars very, very well. So they do a really, really great job, and that's, that's just another poor, just another thing that makes me love them even more. Well, are you guys ready for a whiskey pairing? Yeah. I am. Well, let's get into it then. She's a killer, queen, gunpowder, gelatine, dynamite with a laser beam, guaranteed to blow your mind. Recommended at the price, insatiable and appetite. Alrighty. So, Queen. How do you pair a whiskey with a band like Queen? Well, I'm going to try. <laughs> um, so in, I guess in, in whiskey in general, but I'm going to, you know, I, I, I try to just speak from what I know best, which which is bourbon. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. For the most part, you have three grains that are used in, in most bourbons and, uh, and you know four total grains, but generally in each particular uh, offering you'll have three. But the four that tend to get used are malted barley, corn, wheat, and rye. And similar to that, in 
the band Queen and a lot of other rock bands, you tend to have four members of the band. And each one of these members carries on, you know, their own signature uh, impact to the band, similar to how each one of these grains would have their own impact on the whiskey, whether it's, you know, something that you would only just miss if it wasn't there all the way to something that is just right in your face and you absolutely notice it right off the bat and can identify it. So what I did, I have last year's E.H. Taylor four grain, which was, uh, was Jim Murray's whiskey of the year. And I know that's, it caused a big uproar with that. And, and again, I think this also points back to, to this band that, People that loved Four Grain loved it and were unapologetic for it, and I'm one of those people. I thought it, I, I still think I'm drinking it right now. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. It, it, it would have been, if not my absolute, if not my pick for the year, it would have been in my top five, absolutely. Um, you know, taking into consideration what that, you know, criteria is. Um, but breaking down this, I think uh, sometimes the the uh, the unsung hero in in a good rock band is the bass player, and in this case, John Deacon playing bass. He's my malted barley. You just sometimes, you know what? It's 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 so unsung, but again, it's one of those you would miss it if it wasn't there. Yeah, you, you, might can't not, have might, the, you can't it, have the whiskey without it, right? It might I mean, not be you right in your face, cannot. but you can't have it if it's not there. <laughs> now, for the next grain is something that is it's more predominant. It kind of carries um, it carries the true flow of the whiskey. It's not the outward flavor generally, but somewhat. But it really carries the whiskey, and that's the corn. And Roger Taylor on drums, he's the corn for me. He's a little bit more predominant. You catch it a little bit more, but still, it's not. It's not what you're. It's he's not a flavor grain at this point. Now, to me, when you get into Queen, and we talk about the two main mainly used flavor grains in whiskey, are what guys? What are they? Corn and rye. Corn. Rye and wheat. Well, wheat, wheat and rye are the two main flavor grains. Flavor grains, yeah. yeah. As they're coined, as they're coined. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and and these are very contrasting flavor grains. They provide two, I mean, very different flavor profiles. And Brian May is my wheat. He's he's a little bit more subtle, but boy, when he shines, he shines. And just to mm. give you an idea of some uh, wheat whiskeys that are out there. We're talking about your Wellers, your Pappies, you know, some of these easier drinking, but man, they can really just shine through a solo when you get a really good batch. Larceny. Now, if, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not putting Larceny on Brian. <laughs> Rebel Yell. <laughs> yeah, I'll put some Rebel Yell tenure on there. Yeah. <laughs> some old Fitzgerald, maybe. Um, and then, of course, if you want to get really spicy and you want to have something that just blows your palate out, get you something with a lot of rye. 
and that's Freddie Mercury right there. Would you say it makes the whiskey sing? It makes the whiskey <laughs> sing. And it, Full of spice. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it, I think about, aside from this four grain, which surprisingly in this four grain, not to kill my own whiskey segment, but in the four grain, the rye is very subtle. This is a really... Um, this is a really easy drinking, uh, very fruit forward, um, subtle floral notes. This is a really easy drink, especially for. I mean, it's a hundred proof, bottled and bond. It's 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 hard to stop drinking this one. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but when I think of a, a nice, solid, um, maybe like a higher rye whiskey, I think of of George T. Stag. I think of some of the. High Rye MGP releases like the Bell Meads, and these these bourbons when you drink them and that rye spice hits you, you don't forget it, and you just want more of it. And that's to me what Freddie Mercury brings to Queen. It's you just you just absolutely remember he's so memorable and you love him. Once you and get it, you me, want more. Once you like get you it, said, you want yeah. more. And uh, and that's what this uh, E.H. Taylor Four Grain was for me. Is for me. That's awesome. Well thought out. Great job, Jake. Good job, Jake. Very Jake. good. Good, good job. job. That was like my reading nice. rainbow version of, uh, <laughs> of a whiskey pairing, which I'd get a little education in there. I think that uh, <laughs> I think that battles my rush a little bit. I think no, think it's a challenge now. I'm gonna <laughs> Mine have wasn't to as eloquently articulate. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'll have to. Uh, you've set the bar now. I'm gonna have to work double. <laughs> Double heart on the next one. Well, can't wait. Glad you guys liked it. It was hard for me to think of. All right, guys. Let's talk about the history and the story of the band Queen. I want to break free. All right, let's dig into this discussion, shall we? Let's hear it. Let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. All right, so starting way back in 1968, while in college, guitarist Brian May and bassist Tim Staffel decided they wanted to form a band. So they put out an ad looking for a drummer. They said preferably Ginger Baker style, and they called this band Smile. Staffel became friendly with a fellow student, Farak Bolsara, who went by the English name Freddie. Eventually, Staffel left to join another band, and they brought on John Deacon on bass and began to write and record their own songs with Freddie now as a vocalist, put together a demo tape, but sadly at the time, nobody was interested. Imagine what a bunch of dummies they feel like. <laughs> at this point now, they're going by the name Queen, as suggested by Freddie. And uh, Freddie's now going by Freddie Mercury. It was July 2nd, 1971, that Queen played their first show with the classic lineup, Mercury, May, Taylor, and Deacon. Then in 1973, Queen signed with Trident EMI, and they released their self-titled debut album. The breakout of this album was the single, Keep Yourself Alive. What a way to come out of the gate. (laughs) Yeah, the song like "Keep Yourself Alive." This is their first breakout <laughs> hit. Like, if that doesn't show you what's to come, whoa! You know what I mean? Yep. Damn. Did you guys see uh, um, that album that or the uh, the band that what's his nuts left to go form 
it was a hilarious name. And dang it, no, I... oh, Humpy, Hump something, <clears throat> yeah, Humpy, like yeah, Humpy, yeah. Humpy Dung or something. Hum- yeah. yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like, yeah. <laughs> it was Humpy something. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Dung. <laughs> well, and, yeah. I don't know. It's just what I thought. <laughs> and the and something the, like that. And the advertisement for the drummers, it was. It was a, a Ginger Baker or Mitch Mitchell type. And I read that and I'm like, yeah. well, geez, way to set the bar high, Mitch yeah. Mitchell. Mitch Mitchell to me is, I mean, uh, for those who might not know, he was the drummer for Jimi Hendrix Experience. And, uh, I mean, we're talking about one of the most dynamic drummers in rock and roll history. Well, Ginger so, Baker, too. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I All just right, thought so, that was hilarious. So... Their next album came out in 1974. It was called Queen 2. This album charted. Sorry, the Humpy Bong was the name of the band. Humpy Sorry. Bong, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> close, <Okay>. close. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that bong had close, the same, but no like, joint. The same yeah. literal mm-hmm. kind of uh, connotation I think so. as it does yeah. now? Okay. Pretty sure it was the early 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, so 1974... Second album comes out. It reaches number five on the British album album charts. And the song Seven Seas of Rye reached number 10 on the UK charts. And in the same year, November (coughs) of 74, they released a third studio album, Sheer Heart Attack. The song Killer Queen was the breakout hit and reached number two on the UK charts. And they finally got a hit in the US. It reached 12 on the Billboard charts. This album itself was a chart topper all over. And it's widely considered to be one of the band's best albums that we will discuss later. (laughs) We shall find out. (laughs) We shall find out. So at this point, they went through some changes. Um, They left their deal with Trident um, for for the management aspect and took on Elton John's manager, actually, John Reed. And a lot of people say that that is really what helped to catapult them because they had – um, such a great manager that had a lot of experience with the band that was very much, they were very much entertainers. <clears throat> so yeah. in seven, yeah, I mean, I think you had to understand that at the time, you know, to help them turn into this, <coughs> you know, kind of turn them into what they became as far as entertainers. Yeah. Cause um, Elton John was very much, you know, performance art as well. Right. Yes. Yes. Very showy. Um, I think you had similar you, you had a similar dynamic there with Freddie and and Elton for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so in '75 they were headliners already in the U.S. and Canada and completed a world tour. They also recorded and released another album, A Night at the Opera. This album was a huge success and went triple platinum in the U.S. Brits also voted this album as the 13th greatest album of all time in a 2004 poll. And you hmm. might know, I don't know if you guys remember, there's a little song that was the hit single <laughs> off of the album called Bohemian Rhapsody, anybody? Oh, that little, oh, that little tune. Of a so the vi- did you guys know the, the video for this song? The, is, the original video is the video that we all know, right? And mm-hmm. we talked about this last week on our show, how originally music videos were really just meant to be industry promos. And sometimes, you know, they would get airtime. Well, that's what this video was. Um, and they're kind of – they're said – and I tried to find as many sources as I could that said this, but they're kind of being credited with inventing the music video 
with that video. Oh, yeah, because that was they, a full, like, eight years before MTV. I mean, Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, and, huh. yeah. and it wasn't just them, uh, you know, standing there playing their music or on stage. Right. It was, like, a whole... Production, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. whole production. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. well thought out, and there was there was a budget for it, and there was all this stuff. So they they kind of get the credit for inventing the music video, which doesn't and, surprise and when me. You think of, and when you think of the, you know, the, the early... We talked about the, the early out-of-the-gate music videos that uh that were iconic they had that performance art feel to it it wasn't just Mm -hmm. you know obviously there was a lot of bands that did what you were talking about where they played a lot of concert footage or some you know live footage type of thing but yeah that uh that bohemian rhapsody video is it's it's a timeless classic it is always so still holds up today so good everybody knows that video so yeah, but the uh, in, doesn't the video basically reproduce some of it? Reproduce the cover of Queen too? Yes. Yes. Where they're, yep. they're like Correct. they're just yep. yeah. they're like that iconic uh, photo faces. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was yeah. which was a very popular style of photography at the time. I think um, I don't know, Ed. Your parents probably had <laughs> like my parents had. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes, the floating head pictures. Everybody's faces. You know, floating in blackness with or fuzz around it. Oh, <laughs> from the side. Yeah. Like creepy, creepy yeah. photos. Yeah. The side. Exactly. Yeah. It was such the yeah. style at the time. And that's what the photographer, I can't, can't recall his name right now, what he was trying to accomplish, especially with all that well, light. And he wanted to bring a spookiness with the lighting. And um, it worked. <laughs> and there's also a little reminiscent of um, the Misfits, too. Yes, yes. Yep. yep. And at that, I think I think at that exact point, if I'm remembering correctly, um, when they kind of put the heads up, it's actually Freddie Mercury singing each one of those parts mm-hmm. layered. And I I think it's a total when they recorded in the studio. I think it's a total of uh, of six vocal parts layered on top of each other or something like that. It's insane. Nuts. <laughs> yeah, for the time, definitely it was. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, groundbreaking I mean, and a half, you know? Yeah, the layering was amazing, yeah. for sure. So, a question about the video. Um, I know back when that was put out, there was no MTV. Correct. So, where would people watch, see this so video? It well, like was recording typically, labels and stuff. It would stuff be the BBC, it. it would be late night television, yeah. or <laughs> if the band was going to be interviewed, um, or there was a show, there's a show called Top of the Pops that's been on forever, kind of like um, American Bandstand type thing. Yeah. Sure. They would yep, play yep. videos in between interviews or in between them discussing, you know, what's happening in music, and that's oh, where okay. those videos would go. Hmm. We had late night videos in the U.S. in the or what was it called yeah. Friday night video? Remember that was on regular Friday tele- night videos, yeah. yeah. And that was, mm-hmm. I mean, that was alongside with MTV as well. It was a similar thing. Yeah. Um, but it was on really late at night. But the the Brits were watching uh, videos long before we were. So okay, yeah. Cool. So let's so let's go back to uh, 1976. The band is back in the studio again, and they record a day at the races. The hit off song off of this album is "Somebody to Love." And an interesting little tidbit, A Night at the Opera comes from a Marx Brothers movie, as does A Day at the Races, the title. The most famous of the Marx Brothers, Groucho, invited the band to visit him at his home in Hollywood. The band did, and they performed the song 39 a cappella for him in his living room at that meeting. <laughs> so sick. <laughs> I just can't. Go Can figure. you even imagine? <laughs> I want to... Would love to be a fly on the wall for that. Amazing. That should just be a saying. That's so queen. 
<laughs> that should be insane. Totally. That's so, That's so clean to do that. Um, so anyway, this album features also features Tie Your Mother Down, which became a staple of their live shows and can, is considered one of their heaviest songs, which I had to go back and listen to it a few times. And I don't know if I agree with that, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that year, they almost played one of their most... They all... The hell did I just say? They also played one of their most famous gigs. It was a free concert in Hyde Park, London, that was organized by the Jagillionaire Richard Branson. It set an attendance record of 150,000 people. Nuts. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, in 1977, Queen's sixth studio album is released, News of the World, and has since gone four times platinum. This album contains the hit single, We Will Rock You, and We Are the Champions. And the tour that followed that album release is said to be um, one of the band's biggest stage shows ever. They were selling out and just breaking attendance records. It was completely nuts. And then in 78, they released the album Jazz, which reached number two in the UK and number six on the US Billboard charts. And the hit singles off that album are Fat Bottom Girls and Bicycle Race. I love Fat Bottom Girls. I want to ride my bicycle. I love Fat Bottom Girls. That's one of my favorite songs. I love that song. So good. Um, So. Then in my 17- wife, we were listening. I was playing this. Uh, I was playing that in the house the other day, and uh, just kind of listening through. And my wife was like, "Oh, I know this song." And I was like, "Have you ever listened?" Because my my wife typically does not listen to lyrics. She just listens to the music. And I was like, "Do you know what they're saying?" And she goes, "No. What does it say?" <laughs> and I was like, "I started reading her the lyrics," and she goes, "No, uh, it's a spoof." <laughs> She's like, is this a spoof? <laughs> Big fat fanny, you're such a naughty Big nanny. Fat fanny. <laughs> yeah. Such a naughty nanny. When I was younger, I was like, what? It was very confusing. <laughs> and I mean, fat was not a good thing, you know. Having a fat butt was not a good thing, but this guy seemed to be celebrating it. And I was like, oh. He was ahead of his time. He totally was. (laughs) (laughs) Baby got back. He was the original baby got back. (laughs) Yeah, this could have been a different mashup, like how Aerosmith and Run DMC could have been like... Oh, what was a bit Queen and Sir Mix-a-Lot. Yeah. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Yeah, I, was, I don't know why Bismarck he was like DMX or something. That would have actually that would have actually worked really well. I think. I think so too. Oh yeah, it, that could, that could have worked really really well. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> if it happens. Oh God! All right, so back to 70, 1979, They released their first live album, and their live album went platinum twice. It's <laughs> okay. crazy. Yeah. Just nuts. Um, And then in 1980, Queen released The Game. And this album featured Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And another one bites the dust. My favorite. I remember tearing up the skating rink (laughs) to that song. We, oh oh yeah. man, that's oh god! Everybody would request it, and back then DJs didn't give a shit, and they would play the same song five times if the kids asked for it. Whatever, you know. And sure. I can remember everybody would, but well, another one bites the dust again, and we'd all be like race skating, done, done, done. We thought we were so cool. I remember when I when I first learned to uh, to play bass guitar. This was like one of like two songs, two or three songs that. I just had to figure out right off the bat. And not that it's like super complex. It's no, just it's, uh, yeah. it's just so yeah. iconic. It's one of the first it, songs you just have to be able to do know? it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, this is really interesting. So 
Michael, like, just to let you know how that song, Another One Bites the Dust, became a single, Michael Jackson went to a Queen concert. He was a big fan of Queen, always. Oh, huge, yeah. Huge fan. He talked about them all the time. Um, so he was backstage with Freddie and said, hey, I think you guys should tell your label, Another One Bites the Dust needs to be your single. This is gonna <laughs> do it. This is the song. They trusted him. They did it. And it spent three weeks at number one. And the album topped the U.S. charts for five weeks and sold over four million copies in the U.S. I just had a it's passing their best, thought. It's their best selling single of all time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Thanks, leave Michael it to Jackson. Michael Jackson. Well, I just had a passing, uh, <laughs> I had a passing thought of him doing a duet on stage with Freddie Mercury. Oh, How God. freaking amazing. Can you imagine? Just imagine that. Oh. Yes. You, I just, like, I like, I, I picture Freddie. The, oh, God. Freddie's singing. The way they the both piano, move. Yeah. And Michael singing and dancing, like, all at the same time. I, like, it would just, oh, that would yeah. mind blown. So when you mentioned that, I just had, like, this vision in my head, like, real quick. Dream duets. Yeah, dream yeah. duet, yeah. Absolutely Two of my epic. favorites. Well, so speaking of other musicians and artists, you know that little song "Under Pressure" that uh, <laughs> that we all know. Um, I mean, Ice Ice Baby. But Stop. Voice. Collaborate and always. Ice is back with brand new invention. Something got to hold me tight. Why the fuck do I know all the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby, but I cannot remember what I ate for lunch last week or really important things like people's names and phone numbers. But Same I can here. sing Ice Ice Baby. It's psychology. What Same the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Maybe okay. you should just start uh, You should start incorporating your food menus into songs. There you go. Then you'd remember what you had to eat. <laughs> I don't know if I'm as talented I as had a a Robbie sandwich. Van Winkle or whatever. Dun, dun. The- <laughs> and a bag of chips and a soda. <laughs> 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 oh crap! I went to uh, Subway and had a turkey deluxe and sandwich. <laughs> oh fuck! Uh, All right, back to my story here. Um, so, under pressure was a spontaneous happening. It Bowie just dropped by the studio as one does when Queen is recording. You know, oh not? hey guys, what's up? <laughs> what are you guys you do? doing? Yeah, and they just did the thing, and the song went bonkers. It reached number one in the U.S. and the U.K., and it's under pressure. And that's how that happened, just because, like, oh, I'm just stopping by the studio. That's one of my favorite duets of all time. Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. Awesome. So after that came um, Hot Sauce. Hot Sorry. Hot Sauce. <laughs> You're still back in the Beastie Boys episode. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. I was gonna say that sounds like a red hot chili pepper. I was thinking about lunch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, hot space. <laughs> Sorry. Hot sauce, baby. Mm. Turkey sandwich with hot sauce. <laughs> Here dun, we dun, go. Dun, 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 dun. So that was in 1982. This album was a departure from their trademark sound. It was more of a mixture of pop, funk, and R and B. And it was a really turbulent time for the band, actually, because all of all of the band members except Freddie were very unhappy with Freddie's personal manager and felt that he had um, an influence on Freddie that was actually not positive. So there was a lot of controversy during the making of that album. 
So then Queen made a label change and left Elektra for EMI Capitol Records. And the band decided after 10 straight years with almost no breaks that they would not play any live shows in 1983. During that time, they were going to record their next album and some of the band members were going to work on solo projects. Mind you, they've put, they put out albums almost consistently every freaking year, like yeah. nonstop, <clears throat> sometimes two in a year. So, um, so in February of 84, Queen released their 11th studio album, The Works. Several singles became breakout hits, Radio Gaga, Hammer to Fall, and I Want to Break Free. Weirdly, the album did not do well in the U.S., but it went triple platinum in the U.K. And, rem- so and remained <laughs> in the album charts in the U.K. for two freaking years. So weird. But in the U.S., they were like, no, it's got fucking Radio Gaga on it. Give me a, what the fuck? Anyway, um, so let me give you guys a little perspective. I went back and looked at what was on the U.S. Billboard charts in 1984 at the time that this um, album was released. I wanted to see, like, what was happening in music that this Gee, didn't make it. what was happening in music oh, in 1984 in, in America? All right, Gosh. so we've got, <laughs> we've got Prince When Doves Cry, <laughs> Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It, McCartney right. and Jackson, Say, 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 Kenny Loggins, Footloose, Bill Collins Done, against right all odds. Just stop. Just stop at Footloose. Van Halen jump. <laughs> Lionel Richie hello and fucking Ghostbusters. <laughs> so like, and the and I could go. I mean, I could go on and on with the re- the call. rest. Like the whole entire like I think top fifty songs were like some of the biggest hits in the eighties period. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with mm-hmm. it. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of strange. I mean, when when something's strange in your neighborhood, who are you gonna call? You're gonna call Ghostbusters, of course. You're you're not gonna call Queen. No, you're gonna call Ghostbusters. You're not. And that was the message that was sent to to Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I might sing a cappella in your house, though. (laughs) In your living room. (laughs) In your living room. Imagine Freddie Mercury standing in your living room singing a cappella. What the fuck? All right. So in 1985, they headlined two nights of the Rock in Rio festival and played for over. Are you guys ready? 300,000 people on both nights, each what? night. 300,000. Where was this? <clears throat> I can't even You don't imagine. know the Rock in Rio Festival in Brazil? It's su- look, Oh, look it up. No. It's bonkers. Obviously, they have a lot of room if they can fit 300,000 people it's in It's Brazil. The they don't give a fuck about say anything. It, they'll like, just, in Rio, they'll like just, tear down buildings to have a concert and be like, sorry. Uh, yeah, I guess there are no see, fire codes over there. <laughs> not really. No. With the Olympics and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So Stack that was on top of each other. so that was totally bonkers. Three hundred thousand people. Then Live Aid happened in July of nineteen eighty five. It is still to this date the largest ever TV audience to tune in at one time. It's estimated that it was one point nine billion people. That's about forty <laughs> yeah, percent of the world's population huge. at the time. Billion. It, that's insane. And it's been said from almost every band that played Live Aid and the organizers that Queen stole the show and period. Stop right there. They murdered it. So when the band began to play Radio Gaga, it became a historical moment. It seemed that all 72,000 people in Wembley Stadium were singing and clapping along to the song. And then at the acapella section of the song, it's been called the note that was heard around the world. 
I remember it well, and I watched the video several times this week when I was preparing for the show, and it still gives me chills. And mm-hmm. indeed, every single – it looks like – and it's amazing footage. Every single person is clapping along and he's baiting them. And it's just, he's like, la, 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 la. And then the whole crowd does it back to him. It's phenomenal. Amazing. He was such a great performer. He had them in the yeah. palm of his hand that night. Oh, oh he yeah. totally Definitely. did. I mean, and he always did, but that oh, one that, specifically, yeah. He had, oh, he had it. Yeah. And, um, and just the way he, just the way he peacocked around the stage yeah. was just I you, I for, I forgot what a hell of a performer he is when I was just watching him. He wasn't peacocking around like look at me, look at me. He was peacocking around like we're doing this together, you know, and I'm and I'm entertaining you. He was very very in tune with the audience and you could see that there was a vibe going on, you know, and there there was a communication mm. happening which is really special. Um So then in 1986, Queen recorded the album A Kind of Magic, and this album contained several songs that were reworked for the film The Highlander. Yeah! (laughs) This This may be my favorite Queen album. (laughs) I love The Highlander. It was a big success. There can be only one. (laughs) It contained hits like A Kind of Magic, Who Wants to Live Forever, and Friends Will Be Friends, and the Highlander theme song. Um, right. That summer, the band went on tour, and it would be their final oh, tour with Freddie. Don't forget the song One Vision, which was featured prominently in the movie Iron Eagle. That's true. One Vision got it <laughs> that song. <laughs> Man. Oh, God. So, um, so this last tour that they did with Freddie, they sold out everywhere they went. And again, they broke attendance records. They even played a show behind the Iron Curtain to a crowd of 80,000 people in Budapest. Nuts. Then in 1989, the band released the album Miracle. Um, the hits were I Want to Break Free. And at this point, the media had already been reporting that Freddie was seriously ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Innuendo came out in 1991. Um, and this album contained the hit single, The Show Must Go On. During the recording of Innuendo, Freddie could barely walk, the band said. They said they were concerned that he was not going to be able to sing or at least sing like himself. But he came in, he'd sit down, he would crush it. Um, they said that Brian May was saying when he was singing, it looked like he became more powerful than the illness. It was almost like an out-of-body experience, and he absolutely annihilated everything that he did. Then in November of 1991, Freddie made the announcement that he did in fact have AIDS and that he was dying, and 24 hours later, he was gone. Bohemian Rhapsody was re-released shortly after his death. It went to number one on the UK charts and remained there for five weeks. Um, the initial proceeds from the re-release of that single were donated to an AIDS charity, and it raised, raised over a million pounds. Then the following year, Bohemian Rhapsody became number one on the U.S. Billboard charts, thanks to a little movie called Wayne's World, <laughs> Wayne's World, Party, Party time. time, Excellent, Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it also stayed at the top of the charts for five weeks, and the compilation album Classic Queen was certified three times platinum. And how Bonkers. far from Aurora, Illinois, are you? <laughs> um, probably about a forty-five minute drive. You should have been recording from there tonight, just because <laughs> sitting in your car in a Target parking lot in Aurora, Illinois. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in April of 1992, um, 
the Freddie Mercury tribute concert was held at London's Webley, Wembley Stadium to a crowd of 72,000 people. Bands like Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, Elton John, David Bowie, Annie Lennox, and Metallica performed Queen songs along with remaining uh, Queen band members. The show raised over 20 million pounds for AIDS charities. That is that is a hell of a legacy to leave behind. Mm-hmm. So Queen's last album with Freddie, um, Made in Heaven, was released in 1995, four years after he passed away. The album reached number one in the UK and sold 20 million copies worldwide. Since Freddie's death, the band has recorded and released albums and has toured with Adam Lambert as their vocalist. If you don't know him, Adam, mm-hmm. Adam Lambert was a finalist on the U.S. TV show American Idol. And believe it or not, this is something I didn't know until I was researching it. Adam Lambert is the first openly gay artist to top the charts in the U.S. Did you know that? Hmm. I well, mean, enough, huh? I guess, openly gay. I guess you'd probably have to... I mean... Maybe consider what that means to be openly gay, because it seems like there was quite a few artists that were openly known to be gay. Openly known to be, but when you come out of the gate as, hi, I'm Amber Lambert, I'm a singer, I'm gay, and this is what I am, rather than just, you're not denying it. I think those are two very different things. Sure. To be known to be gay and to be openly sure. gay is is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I just found that interesting. So that's the timeline, guys. There you have it. Very good. So uh, I think uh, this is probably a good time um, to take a little break before we go into the album battle. What do you guys think? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good to me. I want to break free. Oh. Just ruined it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. back after that amazing timeline thank you so much sailor why don't we why don't we get into discussing what three albums we've decided to battle this evening this is a tough one so we're doing night at the opera the game and sheer heart attack right yep yep right yep Yep. those are the three yep 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 and i think i think i i mean it's it's difficult because like as we discussed during the timeline, this is a band that uh, put out a lot of albums for one, but you know, put out a lot of albums over. A, I mean, for as young as they were when you know when Freddie passed away, they they put out a lot of albums in a, quite a long span of time too. Yeah, they did, <clears throat> and with consistency too. So it's it's not like um, you know some other bands we talked about with you know Tool or, or Rage Against Machine where they busted out just you know five completely epic albums in a decade like right. these guys put out what a, like how many albums total was it 12 or i was gonna say a dozen I think it's 13 12. i'm pretty 12, sure like yeah. 12 studio yeah, so. albums yeah um nuts yeah and so it when you have to when you spread that much talent over that much amount of time it, it does make it really difficult uh to pick out a couple or three albums, but I think uh, I think these three albums, the story of Queen, could not be written without these three albums. I don't think you can discuss Queen without these three albums. So, 
agree. Well, yeah, each album has, you know, huge hits. Oh, yeah, totally. <clears throat> uh, so do we want to go chronological albums. and maybe discuss Sheer Heart Attack a little bit first, since that was the earliest release of the three? Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I think the Sheer Heart Attack, for me, I think this is their most, um, I think what you would describe as a traditional rock sound, more of a harder rock sound. Especially with songs like you know Stone Cold Crazy, mm-hmm. and there, um, yeah. Out of all the all their albums, that's one one of the things I noticed. Well, these three albums specifically, <laughs> that after listening to all these three albums, this is the one that really sounds like your more traditional rock album. Yeah, and I would even say, um, you know, tr- traditional rock, and and it even has that kind of. Um, <clears throat> that almost British punk style on some of the songs um, where it's it's that, you know, really upbeat pace, kind of a little bit in your face and, uh, yeah, very, very of the day, I would say, for, for British kind of maybe underground style rock. But right, then you've got... Killer Queen. I was going to... Exactly, yeah. I was going to say, but then you've got Killer Queen on it. And <clears throat> I think Killer Queen is... Total curveball. It is a total curveball, and I think it is. It's kind of a what's to come for Queen in a way. Oh, like this it alludes yes. to oh, totally. what's gonna. Yep. What it's a foreshadowing. Gonna, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a better word. That's yeah. a total foreskinning, so, Matt. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> what? Gross. What's so funny? What? 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 Huh? I don't know. <laughs> now, in I think it was the song "In the Lap of the Gods." There's a female backup vocalist. <laughs> in there and it kind of reminded me of um uh the same i wonder if it was the same vocalist who was on dark side of the moon um great gig in the sky you know what i'm talking about um, she sounded very similar hold on, i'll see if i can put it i kind of tried to look that up but i wasn't able to find what it, song are you talking but, about uh, again in the lap of the in gods, lap of gods. <clears throat> I think it was. Uh, let's see. Here. I don't know. We can look it up. Yeah. Well, but that, yeah, yeah, that was just one thing that jumped out at me while I was listening to that song. It was the backup vocals, and like, man, that that female vocal that sounds just like, you know, the woman who was on um, hmm. Dark Side of the Moon. But I think most not, important, yeah, yeah. Not really seeing seeing much for info on that but that'd be something interesting to, to find out yep i'd say the most important thing about this album at least for me anyway is that this is you know it's only the third album but i think you're starting to see the freddie mercury that everyone comes will come to know and love i think his range on this album is off the charts he does a little bit of everything and i think you also you know not taking anything away from the rest of the band i really do think you start to see them show how great of musicians they are as well um, I think especially Brian May uh, with some of his solos on this album. Uh, I think it's just they, they are starting to find their groove as far as their sound goes. And and like you said, Sailor, a prelude of things to come with Killer Queen in particular. Yeah, totally. Yeah, That's, that's what I get from that album. Mm-hmm. What year did uh, what year did the very first Star Wars film come out 77 yep so on this album there's you know the song she makes me 
And then in parentheses, Stormtrooper in stilettos. This um, Stormtrooper was a type of soldier. Um, yeah, and from not, they were Nazi soldiers. <clears throat> yeah, they were right. Like, I just that yeah. was already a term before yeah, it didn't Star have Wars. Its, came it didn't out. have its genesis in Star Wars. No, I know. I I was yeah. just trying to make a little connection there that maybe uh, maybe George they're time travelers. Queen fan. No. <laughs> 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 That's great. <laughs> just make it all that much cooler. They can connect somehow. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's move on, shall we, to the next album. Let's do it. Who wants Night to at the Opera? Yeah. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I think this uh this was one that, that I kinda said needed absolutely needed to be. It's 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 not your typical rock album, though there are absolutely um <clears throat> you know, some great rock songs on here. Obviously Bohemian Rhapsody to me is I know it's not a traditional rock and roll song, but this is I mean, I guess if I would call it, um, it's one of the greatest rock ensembles ever, ever created. Um, it's just, it would be in, if, if we're talking greatest, my favorite rock songs of all time, this would be in a very short list on yep. that. It's kind of so. tough for the casual listener to look at this album as a complete <laughs> album when you have that huge elephant sitting in the yes. room there at track yes. number nine or whatever it is, yeah. and your eyes are always drawn toward that. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. You I, know, I you think, kind of overlook, I think, yeah. yeah. What's I think what's interesting with Queen, and, and this I think this album might exemplify it more than any other album, is that if if all you're familiar with with Queen is the singles – then then you really just don't know queen i think you have to you have to almost be um you know at least a moderate musical theater fan to be able to be a really true queen fan because a lot of their stuff it is like i mean it's you it, it could be a play this could ab- absolutely be a play well, it's, it's a rock opera <laughs> I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's but, how I see it. But it even hits. like songs like Seaside, you know, Seaside Rendezvous is one where I mean that could have been in like um that could have been in South Pacific. <laughs> you know, I mean or a, uh you know a, a musical. Like there there are so many songs that Queen has done that you could picture being on Broadway or you know For what sure. have you. And uh and I think this song or this album particularly exemplifies that, and it, it goes back and forth. And um, it's interesting because, I mean, outside of Bohemian Rhapsody, is is really the the only major single on this album. Oh, there, you're, you're my, my best, best friend. friend. Yeah. I, oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, to the two hits is, yeah. off this. this album. <laughs> Although "Death on Two <laughs> Legs" is a great song. <laughs> it, yeah, no, the opening track. Well, yeah, there's I, a love, lot of great, I actually well, love so thirty nine. I was going to say thirty nine. Yeah, thirty yeah. nine is a great right. song. I was, uh, I was actually just just today was listening to this song, and uh, I didn't read anything about this, but I'm in love with my car. <laughs> <laughs> There's some serious innuendo happening in that song. That song is. Yep. I mean, I guess you could. Is you it could, a little you red think it, You could think of it as. Uh, yeah. 
It's not about That's, an automobile. They actually wrote that song for somebody that they knew who was obsessed with their car. And I can't think of who it was, but it was a, a manager or a, a roadie or something like that that was completely, quote unquote, in love with his car. And they wrote the song for him. So I, yeah. I would, I would. But yeah, you're right. Very heavy on the. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it seems very um, sexually connotative. Oh, yeah. With my hand on your grease gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> I'd rather, I told my girl, I have to, I'll have to forget her, rather buy yeah. me a new carburetor. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm, I'm holding your like... wheel, all I hear is your gear. <laughs> okay. I, you know, it's one yeah, of Yeah, it was one of their roadies. Yeah. Where I probably heard that song a dozen times and, and just never, you know, sometimes you just happen to be listening closely at the right time where you're like it gets your attention and wait a second i don't remember hearing it this way before (laughs) but this is definitely one of those albums where uh this is uh it's it's a great album to listen to beginning to end because i i think it tells a it takes you on a fun ride Oh, it's I such a say. journey oh, yeah. to have you're my best friend and Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. on the same mm-hmm. album is like but like it blows your brain. Like what? It's, it's, <clears throat> those are absolutely those are two of my favorite Queen songs. Yeah. So and then incredible. how aggressive he gets with his lyrics on the opening track is just you know, obviously yeah. it's yeah, it's root it's rooted in real life, you know yes. conflict, but it's you know, you, you usually don't see him getting that personal or that aggressive with his lyrics which is kind of cool well and then to you kick go the album from off that, with that. Yeah. to go from that to lazy on a sunday afternoon, afternoon I mean, yeah. yeah which yeah. is like completely yeah <laughs> there's yeah, so, I, I mean, just feel like there's Death so much on two legs especially as like you said as an opener is I, I remember when i went back and so i'm i'm not a huge queen fan i i mean <clears throat> and I, by that i mean I've, I've never purchased their albums um <laughs> I bought the sing like when I was a kid, and I-, I bought the singles. You know, another one bites the dust. We will rock you when you get the little forty fives. Mm-hmm. Um, but it- they weren't a band that I really sought out, or I- and I don't know why, to be honest. Um, it- they just and I respect them, and I there's so many songs that I love, and you know, doing this was oh, I love this song too, and this song, and you know, I think they're fucking amazing. But they weren't just like a big band in my life, so I had to go back and listen to all these albums and really study them and read the lyrics and this it was this one stopped me as i'm reading the lyrics i'm like whoa holy (laughs) shit you suck my blood like a leech you break the law and you preach screw my brain till it hurts you've taken all my money and you want more misguided old mule with your pig-headed rules with your narrow-minded cronies who are all fools of the first division death on two legs you're tearing me apart death on two legs you've never had a heart of your own Killjoy, bad guy, big talking small fry. You're just an old barrow boy. Have you found a new toy to replace me? Can you face me? But now you can kiss my ass goodbye. Feel good? Are you satisfied? Do you feel like suicide? I think you should. Is your conscience all right? That's some of the best stuff, man. I mean, that's great stuff. Do you feel like suicide? I think you should. Holy fuck, dude. That's (laughs) the two. The two albums that uh, that my parents had uh, when I was growing up, the two Queen albums were were this Night at the Opera and 
the album we're going to discuss next, which is The Game. Those were the two Queen albums my parents had. And so that probably was, you know, heavily influencing my vote as having those two be a part of it. I mean, aside from what I think now, I, you know, you can't obviously uh, not put in your, uh, you know, your your past experience yeah. into your thoughts. I feel but. like, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about the the different, like the 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 eclecticness of this album. So I just read the lyrics to "Death on Two Legs" and then there's "Sweet Lady," <laughs> you know, and you're, I mean, you know. The, it's sweet lady would you be my sweet love for a lifetime i mean you know it's it's, it's just I, these I, songs I, are they're all over the place yeah, I mean, yeah totally obviously like we said from you know a song quote unquote about a car <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> a, a very aggressive in your face song a song you know i i think freddie mercury was one of those guys that um was very intentional and very intelligent in his lyrics. And, you know, I'm sure from the the life that he was living, um, he kind of had to do that. I mean, in his own life being, uh, you know, kind of having to, to dance to toe the line a little bit with, with what he could put out in public about himself and, and what he felt like he couldn't. I mean, even in, in England at the time. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I think he does that a lot in his lyrics. I think there's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of uh, um, interpretation that can be had with a lot of these lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just just an interesting, very interesting mix of songs on this album, for sure. So, all right, let's discuss the game. The game, game, game. What an album. <laughs> Oh yeah! Wow. This to me, this so, is this is like their quintessential rock and roll, like front to back rock and you know, kind of that. I don't know, late seventies. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's so rock and roll. That's I mean, how else can yeah. you explain it? Now, crazy little thing called love seems like a There's, little bit of a throwback to me. Yeah, to throw. Oh, that's a, a total fifties throwback. A rockabilly. That's a doo wop. Yeah, yeah rockabilly. Uh huh. Total. Yes, absolutely. I love that song. Me and too. I, me and too. And I, I honestly, uh, that's you know, it's few and far between when 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 people other songs, but uh, I thought Dwight Yoakam did a really great uh, version of this song of that song as well. Um, <clears throat> I never heard that. That's who I was trying. I was trying to mm-hmm. remember who I know. There's been other people who have covered this but, song. Yeah, like Dwight Yoakam did a, was, was, did a really good Yoakam version of it. <clears throat> I've never heard that. I'm gonna have to look. For but that. yeah, that uh, that song definitely stands out. <laughs> and of course, another one bites the dust. Everybody yeah. in the Man. world knows that song. <laughs> you better, otherwise, I'm gonna beat you. But isn't your ass. that funny that? That the two That's- major singles off this album could not be any more different. <laughs> totally. That's, but that's no what they do. That's exactly Bohemian that's Rhapsody just like best, yeah. best friend of Bohemian Rhapsody. They have fucking nothing yeah. to do with each other. You could say they're even different bands, forget different albums. It could, it's it's almost like two different bands. And it's the same thing. With, two different singers, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah crazy little crazy. Yeah. and another one bites the dust. Well, and two Killer, totally yeah. Killer Queen worlds. and Stone Cold mm-hmm. Crazy are two very it's all i mean yeah yeah you're absolutely yes isn't that weird though we're talking about yeah. three separate albums i mean <laughs> and 
And three albums yeah. that, uh, you know, they're close to a decade apart. I mean, what, eight years? <clears throat> six years apart. <clears throat> so two, four, six kind of thing. And, uh, and each one has two really major hits. And, and the two hits sure. are... At least. It's not even like... Uh, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of albums that come out have well, they'll have like one fast song, one slow song that get released as you know as hits. These are, I mean, all pretty upbeat songs and just completely different, just complete different. I mean, right. subgenre altogether. Well, I think, I I think when you have a vocalist like Freddie Mercury, this is my impression. You're gonna do an so, impression of Freddie Mercury. I mean, obviously the band is is <laughs> God no. <laughs> Um, when you have the band is is incredibly talented and and they're obviously very multifaceted musicians and and can play just about anything when you have a vocalist like freddie mercury who can sing anything anything and and can Mm, sing it incredibly well I, i i think he that's that i think that's kind of the point is that it was just him. Okay, I like. I'm gonna sing in this now, and I like singing like this, and I like this style, and I like this style. And they just decided to be very eclectic. And I, in a way, I don't think they gave a fuck if the songs belonged together, quote unquote, or you know, if it was all the same genre, or the same style. And that is, to me, that's what Queen is. You know, I, when you're my best friend comes on the radio, I'll sing it. You know, when We Will Rock You comes on, I will rock to it. You know, then there's Killer Queen, and, and I don't care. That's just what I've always thought of Queen is they do anything. I don't think there would be any yeah. style. They probably could have come out with a fucking country song. And people well, would be like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> or polka or something, yeah, you know? Polka. And they would have crushed it. Well, I crazy, mean, they totally crazy little crushed thing it. called love. I mean, Dwight Yoakam is, is very much known as... Uh, that Bakersfield country, which is a lot more of a rockabilly style country, it's it is. I mean, yeah, it's basically Dwight Yoakam singing pretty much the exact rendition of "Crazy Little Thing Called Love" with you know a little bit of uh, steel guitar in it, and that's it. I mean, it's that song is. I mean, that could have been straight out of Bakersfield. <laughs> so you're right; they could have absolutely probably. I think they could have done a country, at least a you know Bakersfield country. They could have done anything. But I think yeah, Freddie Mercury, done, Freddie Mercury, could have. I mean, he anything. could have succeeded. And I think your your point to say the word eclectic is the perfect word to describe Queen. Yeah, that's how I've always seen. Oh them. yeah, that they're. I never saw them as one style. I would never have said. I mean, I guess you would call them a rock band. Oh, it's rock and roll. Yeah, you know, that's what I was exactly what I was thinking of earlier. I was trying to think, how would you categorize Queen? Is you can only categorize them as rock. You cannot get into any no, sub-genre. subgenres no way. because they've basically created their own yes. subgenre, the Queen yes. subgenre. Yeah, yeah, no. you're absolutely right. And and I mean, maybe you could say eclectic rock. You know, if you need to explain that there's so maybe. many different styles in yeah. there. But yeah, I just see it as rock. You know, that big, yeah. huge umbrella yep. of rock, and they just kind of did whatever the fuck they wanted to under that umbrella. And, well, they en- encompass a lot of different, you know, a lot of different um, 
facets of certain genres and subgenres you know into their songs. So I mean, and you they can't did like. It well, yeah, I mean, so you could, you could, I know you can go on forever right. naming genres and subgenres that they right. use, but like you I said, think eclectic. I think what's always Queen what's funny about subgenre what's funny themselves, about Queen, and and more specifically, people that like or or dislike Queen or indifferent, I guess, as a third option is you can almost tell what kind of music fan somebody is if they're a more narrow tunnel vision type music fan. Like I only like hard rock, and that's it, or. You know, I only right. like right. rap or I yeah. only like that. You know, if you have somebody that just has tunnel vision or tunnel listening, I guess, in their in their music choice, they'll, <laughs> they don't like Queen. But people that people that tend to like Queen yeah, yes, are, the, yeah. are the type of people that will also I mean, like, for instance, if you look at my at my Spotify or my, you know, Pandora, you're going to find classical. You're going to find hip hop, heavy metal, country I mean, you name it, and it's there, and that's what I. That, I mean, Queen is one of those bands that I can listen to and not get bored ever, because they just keep you. They keep you guessing. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes, absolutely, absolutely. They, they. I think that if the band had not been as talented as they were, oh, they would have not have so gotten true. away with this, doing this. It's the the talent mm-hmm. level that it takes to to spread yourself across all of these subgenres in one album okay even if you just take one album to do it well for a vocalist to masterfully nail every single song in a different style in a different in different keys in different ranges and is is it's the the only way that they that's why they could do it successfully because they had the talent to do it and I think it was also very smart of the band to allow Freddie to um, really guide right the there. music in that way. And, you know, you can tell that the, there's a lot of musical guidance. He, he was a guiding force musically as well because he was also a musician, not just a vocalist. And that was very smart of them <clears throat> because he had a, he was, you know, he, had, he was a genius for sure musically. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I think that they the respect they had for each other as musicians is what made this band successful as well because you have to respect each other deeply to allow any one person to guide you know an entire group of people artistically in whatever direction that's going to be and um especially to be so um unabashedly unique and diverse it had to be a scary thing sometimes i think especially mm-hmm. for a band in the 70s these days i think you'd be a little more comfortable with it because i think people today generally have a lar- a broader um taste in music than they did in the 70s when this band was emerging you know you didn't have a ton of music styles at the time that were popular or on the radio you know you liked rock or you liked country or you liked soul you liked pop well and i you think know, or i think it's or something you i know? think it says there something not, there wasn't a it lot says of something to the to the scene in uh in europe and maybe more specifically in in england at the time and we've talked about this with you know with pink floyd and 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 what they were doing you know around the same time that i think that that area yeah. of the world was so much more accepting of of um of just trying new things yeah. and 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 open mindedness. Exper- yeah, be a very experimental is a better time. word. Definitely, mm-hmm. they were. 
yeah, well, they, they spent more yeah cultural influence there, which which is such a bizarre thing. Like as I was about to say this, but I, I mean, I lived in the UK and I lived in Europe, so I can speak from my own personal experience. They have more cultural influence there because they're you know the UK is right next to Europe, and they aren't as protectionist as far as um, as far as music and art. I'll, I'll just say that than the U.S. was then and and in some ways still is, which is strange because we're a much bigger melting pot than they are. So it should be the flip side completely. But they've been open to more cultural diversity in their music, probably maybe only in their music, certainly not their fucking food. Um, you know, for, <laughs> sorry to my British for friends. Um, <laughs> So I, that, that I think has a lot to do with it as well. I mean, so yes, what if Queen was an American band? Would no. they have had the success <clears throat> nope. and made it? Not as an, I, mean, I don't think they, they, they would could have. have been, they, really they could have been an American band, but they would have to have been in Europe. I mean, it's just, <clears throat> they, they yeah. could not have found, they could not have gained the initial success. They gained success in the United States because they were already successful in Europe. I guess is what I'm getting at. They they could right, not have had right. the initial yeah. bump yeah. in the United States. Not not yeah. um yeah. I agree. I just I think one more thing that's important too, Jake, and you mentioned it before, you mentioned Pink Floyd, and I think that well a lot of these bands around the same time um, you said Floyd, you know, I would say David Jimmy Page Bowie. is another guy and Freddie Mercury and, yeah. and, and and Freddie Mercury and a lot of and Queen in general. I think that when they were making these albums and they were experimenting with these sounds, I think that they put in probably more time on the soundboard than they actually oh, did goodness. in the studio recording yeah. the songs because they were, you know, at the forefront of, of playing with different things and using different sounds. And I think that, you know, says something about that generation of music at that time in that place as well, that these guys were so um, particular about, one certain sound singer, that they wanted to get, and I think that's something singer, that's lost Freddie today Mercury too. That has, yep. I mean, what a five-six octave vocal range, <clears throat> and and he's, yeah. yeah, you know, he's he realizes that, and he wants to, I mean, push the limits of, you know, how many vocal parts can can he sing in one song and layer them on top of each other and still have it be. Um, you know, at the highest quality. And he did it so beautifully. Well, not only that, but with musicians like this and singers like this, um, if you, if you, so, uh, every once in a while I'll drill down into the albums really deep because I'm curious, like, how the fuck do you release an album every year and tour? And, you know what <laughs> I mean? And, and one of the things that when we talk about some of these legendary bands is if you look at like the time it took them to record some of these albums and you actually listen to some of them interview, Freddie Mercury was a guy that could go in and get the song, nail the song in one take, <clears throat> you know? So, you know, instead of, you know, it took days to get this, nail <clears throat> this one song. Oh, we finally got it. Like he can walk <clears throat> into it, bust it out. And it's, Per, it's perfection in one take you know same same thing with these uber talented artists you know, that we talk about they can nail these things a lot quicker um and that makes a big difference as well because i think that's more of an organic thing and then they like you <coughs> said matt they can spend a lot more time on the soundboard and a lot more time putting the album together mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and uh, make our make our choices. Let's go around the room and let's see. 
<laughs> what album is going to reign supreme? I'm so torn between two albums. Who wants to start? I guess I'll go. Well, yeah. For me, um, I went with Sheer Heart Attack. Okay. As my pick. Um, this I think this one connected with me more as an overall album than the other ones did. Um, I really like Brian May's uh, guitar on so many of these songs. Um, it seems to be more of a more more uh, a little more rock feel to it. Uh, Brighton Rock. You had, uh, of course, um, Stone Cold Crazy, which you know Metallica famously covered. Did great cover of that one. Um, and I really like the song "Bring Back That Leroy Brown," you know, alluding to Jim Croce's song uh, "Bad Bad Leroy Brown," and of course, um, "Killer Queen," which is one of my favorite Queen songs too. But uh, so yeah, there's I re- I really enjoyed this album. The other albums were great too, but if I had to pick one, and I it, it would be this one. So. All right, so Ed, your vote is sheer heart attack. Ed, if if you put yep. them in order one, two, three, just I'm just curious. If I did one, two, three, I would probably be sheer heart attack, the game, and then the night at the opera. I'm just. I want to see what the. Uh, I want to see Very. what the um, aggregate scoring is going to be on this. <laughs> <laughs> Jake putting his. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a soccer fan, and this is how soccer <laughs> leagues score things as ag- aggregately. Uh. All right, Matt. Why don't you go next? Yeah. So, Jake, remember before when you you said that. You know, fans or, or people who listen to Queen only know this, the uh, the hits and aren't really Queen fans because they don't get all the other stuff. Well, that would be me. <laughs> so, <laughs> that being said. I don't think I said um, you couldn't be a Queen fan. I, have to go, I, I think it was more or less. Like, I, I know. I was, I, was trying to, I was trying to paraphrase. You're getting, just, you're getting yeah, essentially um, so, 20% of Queen. If you're talking about two two songs on each ten song album that are the singles, that's that's twenty percent of their catalog that you're getting, um, and, and and most of it's not their real experimental eclectic stuff. Correct, but listening to these three albums several times, front to back, back to front, um, I would say that I'm gonna have to go with Night at the Opera. Mm-hmm. And then I'm what? Gonna have to do it. And then what? Okay. Because of because of everything we because of everything we said, because it's it has a, a common thread, but it's all over the place, and I I just like how crazy that album is, all in all. And then of course, like <laughs> I said, you have the big elephant, you know, at the end of the album, which you can't you cannot possibly even dismiss that at you know at all. That has yes. to weigh into your decision big time. Um, so if you were going one, two, yeah, three. absolutely, and. So not at the opera one, uh, I will go sheer heart attack two, game three. Okay. Sailor. Well, as per usual, I'm the weirdo. <laughs> I'm going with the game. I have to. Oh wow! So Jake, I have <laughs> all to. the pressure is on Jake. I have to go with the game because I cannot 
have an album, a Queen album, without another one bites the dust. It's my favorite okay. Queen song of all time, and it's one of my favorite rock songs ever. And it it has I have the best memories. Um, roller skating in my garage in circles for hours listening to the song over and over and over again um i just love the song and i just think it's yeah i so it has to be the game so one two three game then what all right one two three it would be game a night at the opera and then sheer heart attack so sailor you and i You and I. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? <laughs> out of, we all have different one, twos, and threes. Out of all the three of us, none of us have the any albums. songs no, on and, the same and, uh, <laughs> and this is this is this is why I wanted this or albums, I mean. Jake's exactly gonna ruin why that. I wanted to chart it this way because I I knew that from an aggregate standpoint it would make a difference because I don't I don't think Okay, I'm looking at it, and none of us are going to have the same order. <clears throat> so, coming into this, I was, like I mentioned, the two Queen albums that were in my house growing up were Night at the Opera and The Game. And uh, and those have long been my two favorite Queen albums. And even to this point, as much as I do love Sheer Heart Attack, The Game and Night at the Opera are my two favorite Queen albums, much for the same reasons that you describe Sailor and you describe Matt. Um, but <clears throat> I've got to go opera, number one. <laughs> I'm going game two and sheer heart attack three. <laughs> so none of the four of us have the same order. <laughs> and... Uh, yep. So, Night but Night at the Opera, at the opera well. wins. Well, that speaks to the eclecticness of the band, I think. Give me, yeah. give me five seconds here, and I'll give you an aggregate scoring. <laughs> <laughs> so, Opera won. And um, it looks like the game yeah. came in second. Yeah. And Sheer Heart Attack in three. Yep. Yep. Overall, so, give me one sec. One. It was a tough two. one. This was a tough one to do. Yeah, and it was a tough one to do with just these three albums as well. Um, I don't know if I would have chosen these albums to be the ones we battle. We let Jake choose because Jake is a huge Queen fan. He's the one that wanted to do. Who chose this band as a subject? Oh. Um, and I think rightly so. Since okay, you ready? Fan so the aggregate scoring, <clears throat> yeah. even with aggregate scoring. Uh, Night at the Opera, and they were all one one point away. So, I mean, because we, this is how close it came. Uh, Night at the Opera came in first, Game came in second, and Sheer Heart Attack came in three, came in third. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. indeed, it's Night at the Opera. <laughs> I'll, I'll be interested to see. It. I'll mm-hmm. be. Oh! I was going to say, we'll have to see what the viewers think as well. Interesting to see what, so. our, uh, what the Facebook uh, group what all the says. Think. Yeah. I feel like we might have a lot of write-in votes. I almost think that uh, I think they might lean with Ed on this one because I think I think uh, a lot of our 
Facebook um, group members are more like metal, kind of punk, that style. I think they might lean towards sheer heart attack. I don't know. I'm putting it out there. Be interesting to see. <laughs> Would be interesting. interesting. Yep, definitely yeah. will. Oh, you guys, this was an awesome discussion. Um, I'm really glad we covered Queen, and uh, they deserve it, and they're just a phenomenal band. So it's time to wrap it up, guys. Mamma mia, mamma mia. Mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me, for me, for me. All right. We want to give a huge thanks to all our listeners. And if you enjoyed this show, please join us next week for another episode where we will be having another discussion. And before we get out of here, does everyone want to say what they've been listening to? Let's hear it, Sarah. Yes. I've been listening to um, I Want to Talk. Which is a podcast hosted by D. Snyder. I was going to say, as soon Twisted as you said Sister. that, I, I immediately um, done that. I want to talk. I want to talk. Talk. It's actually it's it's a it's a really kind of great podcast. Um, I've oh like so much so much stuff. Like he runs the gamut. It's fantastic. Um, I have always been a Twisted Sister fan. <laughs> Shut up, Jake. Um, and a big fan of D. Snyder. Um, is he a queen? Is he a Queens guy too, or is he a New? He's a New York guy, right? He's a New York guy. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's a borough guy. I can't remember which borough. Um, yeah. I so recently um, there was a little bit of a, a Twitter storm that happened surrounding D. because he testified in front of the Senate um, in the eighties about censorship in music. Um, and he happened to deliver um, a groundbreaking hmm. speech. It was his testimony up. was phenomenal. Um, it was really interesting. There was a VH1 behind yeah. the music thing about it, um, and he said that he's a very intelligent man mm-hmm. and very articulate. Not what people thought of him or expect from him at all. And so he said that him and his wife had discussed the night before, like, oh, you know, I should go in there in a suit and and look respectable Mm. so they'll hear me. And they decided in the end, no, you know what? Fuck that. Fuck that. So he went in (laughs) looking like D. Snyder, rock and roll, (laughs) and wiped the floor with his speech. Fucking wiped the floor. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was going to say, Google it. it, There's lots of video out there. If if you kind of readily have the link available will you will you post that into the uh, in the facebook group i'll post great. it in our Thank facebook you. group absolutely it is it is something great. to watch so since there's some senate hearings going on right now and i don't want to get into it um that's why this came up um so uh i i have been tweeting <laughs> at d snyder asking him if he will come on the show because we are going to be yeah. doing a show on censorship and music focusing heavily on the 80s because it's come up so many times in a lot of the bands and artists that we've talked about <clears throat> so um he asked me to send an email to his booking agent which <clears throat> i did um so if you follow me on twitter i'm sailor retro help me out um, and asking D to be on the show, <laughs> I, I don't know if it could happen, but it would be pretty fucking cool. But anyway, um, yeah. so I started listening to his podcast, 
And um, the, the reason why I'm a big fan, I should say, is because of those Senate hearings. I, 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 I didn't see my rock stars like that at the time. I was, I was quite young. And I went and read, I went and did some research after that on what censorship was, you know, and a lot of the things that he spoke about. And I ended up doing a paper, I think it was in the ninth grade, I did a paper on censorship and um, in literature and in music. And it, it, he helped me to become, I think I was always a little bit politically minded, but he helped form me as a political activist in, in the ways that I am um, fighting against things like censorship, things like inequality um, and oppression. Um, and so he has a very important place for me in forming me as a young woman, as a young teenager. It made a huge impression on me. So that's why I say I'm a big fan of his. Um, I also liked <laughs> Twisted Sister as a band. So I would highly recommend his podcast. I think you guys would love it. Um, I think our listeners would love it. Absolutely check it out. Right, so two, two points to make. <laughs> One, oh boy. thinking about Twisted Sister and more specifically uh, that music video totally reminds me of what we were discussing in this week's uh, Metal Rock and Whiskey News with uh, with what um, what's his nuts from Judas Priest had to say about <laughs> about about dressing up in like oh, spandex Alfred. and ridiculous outfits and trying yeah. to sing with metal <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> It was definitely of the time. But that was that was totally well, I don't, of the I don't, time, and I mean, it worked for him because he was memorable. He was so everybody. D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. Everybody can picture, you know, picture him in your mind with his, you know, crazy blonde hair and the makeup and well, the flamboyant outfit. It wasn't yeah. just them. It was my well, crew. Oh, it yeah, was poison. It was, it was rad. It was. And D comes on the show, he can make me crow, but. Uh, they're about um, one of like the most non-metal bands I've ever heard. Oh my god! Eighties rock. Yeah. Please. <laughs> we now we really need to have D on the show to kick your ass. Oh my god! Maybe I'll wear. I'll just uh, I'll wear women's clothes on that episode. <laughs> he didn't wear women's clothes. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> What are you even talking about? Go Google pictures of D. Snyder right now. They had like lipstick and stuff on in that, in that no. video. Those are that's uh, not clothes. Outfit, lipstick and stuff. Exactly. Accessories, yeah. man. Oh my god. It was stage makeup. It was stage okay. performance at the time. That's okay. what you did. All right. Anyway. And he wasn't doing it to actually be, look at this. He wasn't doing it to actually be glam. That's a either. female clone. He was kind of like, <laughs> okay, but do you get what he's doing during the time of glam, um, looking like that? Trying to he's dress kind of like, like the worst looking, rebelling thief. against the worst that glam. It's like yeah. he's parodying. Exactly. It. He's parodying it. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what he was doing. He was he was rebelling against it. Worst looking female. It. Totally. Of all time. I mean, over the top. Yeah. He's not trying to look pretty. Like Vin- oh, trust me, Vince nobody thought he was trying, trying to look, look pretty. Super pretty. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> please, D, come on the so show and kick dick ass. Please, I mean, do it. Do it. Do it. Makes it. Do it. Makes you feel if good. For no other it reason. Look, it just didn't look good. <laughs> okay. Here, so to so to your yeah, point, uh, my uh, my wife and I have we've uh, the the most recent show we've been working our way through is uh, is billions, and uh, we're through. We're through season two at this point, 
<clears throat> excuse me, and and one of the things that uh, the main character in that show often um, deals with and and has like an inner battle with is that he uh, he's somebody that came came up from nothing, and you know he's a billionaire and he tends to you know wear jeans and t shirts, and there's times where. He also battles like, should I put on a suit kind of thing? But it's not him. And then every it makes that point where when he puts on a suit, he fails. And and there's one episode where he mm. he wears this suit, or he goes to this tailor, buys a, like a really expensive tailored suit, and like right off the bat, he fails. And then he basically like Superman goes into a phone booth comes back out, throws the suit into the garbage, and walks out with the Megadeth... Actually, in that episode, he's wearing a Metallica t-shirt. <clears throat> but uh, there's like an episode where they go and they're, uh, they go to a Metallica show and Jay, uh, Hatfield is in the episode and they uh, have a private screening with Metallica. And oh, wow. like the main, ap- the main character, Bobby Axelrod, is a huge metal fan like he's always wearing megadeth and metallica and iron maiden shirts and stuff and and a lot of the background music in the show is is uh is is those same bands and uh it's it's a phenomenal show i absolutely love it there's there's so much uh, uh there's a lot of stuff you know that you just talked about sailor like um yeah maybe not not censorship in the sense of um like first amendment censorship but um financial censorship um and also you know a lot of other topics that can be dealt with but uh but uh power struggle i mean all the all the really fun stuff that you love to see in a in a really in-depth show and the, and the acting is phenomenal paul giamatti plays the opposing character um to, to to Bobby Axelrod's character, and it's kind of this. <clears throat> so the sh- where, where do you the, watch this at? The show uh, itself is on Showtime. Um, I'm not going to say where oh. how I'm watching okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Alrighty then. Anybody uh, else? Yeah, oh, I guess um, I'll. I'll um, I've been had a couple days off work this week, um, throwing my back out. So I've had plenty of time to watch TV. So I started binging on um, a new Amazon Prime original series, Jack Ryan. Oh, that's on my list. Um, that's what I'm. That's what I was a huge fan of Tom Clancy novels. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, when I was in like high school yes. and college, I would tear through those things, like especially and the even Jack read them Ryan a couple of times. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So if anyone's seen the uh, the movies like A Clear and Present Danger, Hunt for Red October. Um, stuff like that, and you enjoyed those movies. Patriot this Games, is a, this <laughs> Patriot Games, exactly. You, this yeah. is a must see. Yeah. Okay, so so you being yeah. fans of those movies, what did you did you see Shadow Recruit or Chris Pine was Jack no. Ryan? The it, well, I think it came out no. in 26, 26 no, a couple years ago. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So I kind of feel like just from you know the previews of what I've seen of. Um, of the new Jack Ryan series, I feel like it most closely relates to that movie. <clears throat> so I guess I was curious 
who is because this topic I've heard this topic come up a few times, you know, with this being relevant, who is your favorite Jack Ryan? Because we um, you got Ben Affleck too, right? Wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Patriot, some of all fears. Uh, reindeer games. Yeah, you've got Reindeer Alec games? Baldwin no, uh, was in some of all fears. Over, yeah. and then you've got uh, Harrison Ford, of course. Yep. Um, well, Hunt for, uh, Hunt for Red October is my favorite movie. Yeah. Almost feels That's my like favorite a reboot. Movie. Yeah, yeah, I love Hunt in for the Red way Red. that mm-hmm. that um, JJ Abrams rebooted Star Trek because yeah. the characters are the sa- same That's characters, really great but analogy. the they're it's things are a little different though, and it's kind of going back a little bit to earlier in Jack's career. But um, to tie that all together. Who does J.J. Abrams use as his main character in the new Star Trek? Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Wow. Look at that. But this is uh, actually Michael Bay is one of the producers on this uh, Jack Ryan series, I noticed. What's that? I said Michael Bay is one of the producers. Oh, is he really? uh, Oh, I didn't didn't notice that. Yeah. I I think the big criticism is uh, um, John Krasowski. Is that how you pronounce his name? Krasinski. Krasinski. You know, yeah. from the office where oh, he, he played kind of the job, lovable, though, kind of that lovable, sarcastic guy. And I think the one criticism I've heard is people are having a hard time seeing him as this action hero. But this is the first been, role like that he's played, though. I know, but it's this, it's the first. I think I, I have not, I personally have have not. I've only seen him in probably the office, and sure. and now as I'll watch him and. And Jack Ryan, so he was also in that movie recently about the soldiers who were right, right, right. Um, the, the, that thirteenth small hour? platoon. No. What was that? Is it? Is that what it was? Thirteenth hour. Thirteenth hour. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't think of the name of it. The yeah. one I might have been thinking of. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but no, he does a phenomenal job. I think in the role, and you know, if you the first after you watch the first episode, I mean, you bought into it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Matt, what about you? Uh, to keep it brief, um, you know, I haven't been watching too many things lately, but the wife and I did watch Black Panther the other night. I was kind of disappointed. What? What? Are you I kidding? Loved yeah. it. Really? I thought it was amazing. <laughs> it's easily a top, top five MCU movie. Are you kidding? <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, hey, the fight scenes were so good. It's all subjective. But I don't know. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just think in the whole grand scheme of everything that's going on, I think that that's a sect of the story that is not maybe as important as everything else. I don't know. Just wait. I mean, I mean, they're important. I mean, they're well. Just no. You can't say anything. Just (laughs) well. No. What I was gonna say is I know Wakanda is important, but it's not like each one of these. Yeah. Each one of these is gonna have. I mean, there's always a trilogy at minimal. I mean, obviously, Infinity War is gonna have more than. Three is gonna. Have I think. I think it was built parts, up so but, much. It was built up so much to be a fantastic movie that my expectations were here, and which anything it is. less than that. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, oh, to each well, is all. To each man. is all. Yeah. it is a great movie. I wouldn't say it's one of the. It's the best one in the Marvel. It's, it's, it's definitely not, not the favorite. best one. It's not my favorite. It has absolutely. It is, but it is very good acclaim. It's it's been critically acclaimed. Um, I would say it's probably. Now, Matt, you've seen Infinity War. Yes. Um, we're working. We're kind of bouncing. So we saw Doctor seen... Strange. Then we saw Thor Ragnarok. 
Let's see, yeah, Doctor Strange to me is a fantastic movie. I think Doctor oh, Strange yeah, is freaking yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It. Yeah. Now I, I see it. where now I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I I, I yeah. Okay. If, have you seen? So now have you seen everything from Iron Man one all the way up to Infinity War? I have not seen everything. Yes, I'm caught up. <clears throat> have you seen? So have you seen Ant Man and the Wasp yet? I have not. No. I haven't either. I haven't either. Okay. okay. <clears throat> what What's your favorite to this point? Damn, that's a tough question. Uh, Captain America, all three Captain America movies are awesome. Those are probably my three favorite movies. And then the first Avengers, obviously, and then Infinity oh, War, the also. Avengers, yeah, man. Thor is number that one was just for like, me. I which love Thor. which the original Thor, the original Thor. Yeah, that we were we were watching Ragnarok, my daughter and I, before we started recording. I love Ragnarok too. <laughs> See, that's a comedy movie, man. That's I a comedy. Watch, I can but watch Loki. Yeah. I can watch Loki forever. I'm obsessed with Loki. Like, you I are Loki. I am so obsessed with Loki. <laughs> oh my god! Not Tom Hiddleston. Although Just he's Loki. awesome, but it's he's got to be Loki. That's what does it for me. It's Loki. <laughs> he does that. a. I think I think he was a great choice for hell yeah to, to be Loki. He is I mean, Loki. He, period. He plays that part so perfectly. perfectly. Yeah. <clears throat> Ed, what about you? What's your uh, What's your favorite MCU at this point? I'm still partial to the original Avengers, just because at the time. When you went to see that, that was the first real big crossover movie for all these superheroes. So, and that had an impact um, that I still think about today. You know, that original Avengers. Oh, hey, you guys, guess what I so finally I saw this weekend? What? Finally. Solo. Oh, I still haven't seen it. Finally. So did I. I bought it on Blu-ray and watched I it I freaking loved it. I thought yeah. it was so well done. Really? I, I, lo- I loved it. It's loved been it. getting slaughtered. <sighs> you know how I, I feel seen about it. Star Wars. I haven't Wars. seen it. You now know that how it's, I feel about Now Star that Wars. it's out on DVD, I, love I will be able to, I'll be able to watch it on, on how I watch movies. Yeah, that's how I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I am surprised. I am surprised. It's be- look, if I felt like it was in the same, it, it was this. To me, it felt like I'm watching an old Star Wars movie where it was it had camp to it. It had the right amount of comedy to it. It had the right amount of brevity to it. That's what I loved about it. I didn't feel like it was so modernized that they took out all of those things that I love having been there when the original Star Wars came out. That's what I loved about it. And I thought it was so such a great origin to see Han Solo become Han Solo in the way that they, pr- I, I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I will, I'll fight anybody to the death. They have already, I jumped, can't wait to see it. I they have already jumped the shark on the trilogy. They cannot afford to do it on these standalone movies. And I well, just hope talk, the Obi Wan, I just hope the Obi Wan movie is better. I just hope it is. We talked. That's we the talked next one. about this. We talked yeah. about this when when Brett Stormtrooper was on the show, and I would absolutely recommend that Scott everybody Trooper. go back. <laughs> what I say. Scott Trooper was on the yes. show and everybody needs to go back and listen to that episode because yes. that might have been my, f- I mean, we're talking about favorites of it's a, different it's universes. It's episode, by the way. That was, that was definitely one of my favorite episodes yeah. of this show 
in in the MRW universe. Um, <laughs> I like that. For the record, for the record, the very first Iron Man, my favorite MCU. Oh, it, that's, that's up there too. too. That's up there. That's probably my one. number two. Yeah, exactly. I think that's yeah. my number two. I, I think I would say th- the first Thor, Captain America. Um, sorry, first Iron Man, and then Captain America is probably how okay. I real quick, real quick. I wish we would have done this with Brett. Let's minus out four, five, and six. Oh fuck! Favorite, Don't make me do this. Don't favorite Star do Wars this. film. I won't do it. That's I won't do not it. one of the original three, no. four, five, I won't or six. Do minus it. four, five, Rogue six. One. I can't do it. There you go. See, I'm Matt did it. it. It's that easy. No. no, it's not. I'm not doing it. I'll tell you what mine is. Last Jedi. Last Jedi for me too. Oh, yeah. you got it. I thought Last Jedi me. was fantastic. Are you serious? I'm not. Doing <clears> yeah. Are we gonna have because a whole show about this? I think I think part of what I love about Last Jedi <laughs> is that it left me wanting more. I want to know what's next. They I know fucked what's everything. Next. Everything is <laughs> or fucked. Or did they? Yes. Or did they? <laughs> or did they? Oh God, you guys. Okay, we need to stop this now because we're okay. Going, we're, oh, yeah, yeah, we're we're going down the rabbit <laughs> hole here. We're going down the rabbit right, hole. Let's wrap I'm, this get, up. I'm getting Matt, upset about it. Matt, I'm gonna start put a ribbon on it. All right, put a ribbon on it, Matt. All right, do it, Matt. Save us. Save the E, Matt. <clears throat> I always save that E, man. <laughs> so to all of our listeners, a fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey Obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is whiskey, as Jake says. Save the E. <laughs> Boom. Ed. <laughs> if they want to know what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. <clears throat> Sailor. I'm Sailor Retro all over the internet. <laughs> Jake. <laughs> And follow her so we can get D on this freaking show, man. Yeah, be sure be sure follow if you're on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. If you're on Twitter, go over and uh and I'm not I'm not up to the lingo on Twitter, but I'm guessing it's retweet your tweet. Yes, retweet my Was tweet, that? yes. Would be much uh, appreciated. For, for D, let's let's get that moving. We wanna have D on the show. I think uh I think I mean I just mentioned earlier that I'm not a big fan of Twisted Sister, but I think if you have heard D on, you know, throughout the years on the VH1 shows, you can tell that he is a very intelligent person that has a well-supported opinion. And you know what? Whether I agree with somebody or not, I love people that have well-supported opinions. That's period. That's what I love. So go do that. Um, You can find me at Bourbon Spartan on on Instagram. Hey, Jake, wait a second. Can I give a few shout-outs real quick? Yeah, that's what I was giving you space for, and then you you looked at me like I was an idiot. (laughs) 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 So I was giving your shout-outs for you. I forgot to do it. I forgot to do it when I said my... That's my bad. My bad. So real quick shout-out. Shout-out. Real quick shout-out to um, our friends at Scotch Test Dummies. You can find (laughs) them on YouTube. Um, another shout out to Scotch Trooper, who we just mentioned. Find him on Instagram. Follow him. He's phenomenal. A big thank you and lots of love to our friends in When, Part- when Particles Collide. They are currently touring across the country, heading out to the West Coast. If you're in the western part of the U.S., go to whenparticlescollide.com and check out their tour dates, please. That's it. All right.
All right. Well, thank you for those, and thank you for all our, the friends of the show that help us out. And uh, as always, guys, it's a ton of fun. Hope everybody enjoys it. But uh, glasses are empty. Be sure to tip your waitress. We're out. Fuck you, Lars. Adios. Later, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>